Bible. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Romans chapter 15. And uh, we're going to read responsively from verse 1 down through verse 7. We're going to begin reading out loud together in verse 1. And then we'll read every other verse together. Uh, so you'll do the odd verses with me. I'll do the even verses by myself. Alright? Verse number 1. Ready? Here we go. Together. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but, as it is written, the reproach of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Bearing the Burden of Your Brother. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at Romans 15 in great detail and we consider some hard realities about the world we live in today. We talk about some things that are hard-hitting and difficult. Lord, help us to evaluate and be honest with our own hearts. And Lord God, give us a heart of compassion uh, toward others. Give us a heart of love toward those who are weak. And Lord God, break up hearts of stone. Rip up fallow ground this morning. And Lord God, help us to love others and deny ourselves for the edification of others. Just as we read a moment ago. When I pray that when we leave here this morning, there will be an action plan for each one present today to go forth and do just that. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let me just say, I love the bus ministry. I have been involved in some way with the bus ministry uh, almost all of my life. My mom and dad met in Bible college, and my mom and dad were both actively serving on a church bus route in Chicago when they met each other. And then they got married, and my dad continued to work on a bus route after my parents were married. He'd get up every Sunday morning, and he would drive a bus into Chicago where they would bring boys and girls and teenagers and men and women into uh, the church there from Chicago into northwest Indiana. And so when I was born, my dad was still driving that bus. So at two weeks old, I'm in a car seat sitting on a hot, or it, was, it would have been a cold bus at the time, January there, and uh, I'm, I'm riding a bus, screaming my lungs out on that bus, picking up boys and girls for church. And really, it's been my, my, that's been the story of my life, working on a bus most of my life. When I was, um, uh, when I was four years old, we moved from Louisiana to Mississippi, and there in Mississippi, my father became a church bus captain of two different church bus routes. You say, well, why two bus routes? Well, this church back in the 80s and 90s was a segregated church, and uh, they, it's not that they didn't let black people into the building, but black people that came into the building were not treated with a warm welcome. And when it came to running the buses back then uh, into neighborhoods, uh, the deacons did not want black kids riding the bus with the white kids. It's hard to believe that this is as 
recent as the 80s and 90s in the Deep South. But this is just the reality that I lived in. But my dad wanted that color barrier broken. And so uh, every Saturday he would get up and he would take me and my brother and we would go out and we'd visit two bus routes. We'd go visit uh, a white bus route and then when we got done with that, we would go into the inner city projects and we'd visit a black bus route. And uh, It was uh, really from about 10 a.m. until about 3 p.m. every Saturday, my father was out there visiting these two bus routes. Now, mind you that on top of this, he ran, uh, administrated a Christian school of 250 kids. And then uh, when he got done with that at 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, weather permitting, sunlight permitting, we would go and we would cut lawns or uh, rake leaves in order to make ends meet. And my dad's work day would begin at 5 a.m. It would end about 9 p.m. Monday through Friday. And then on Saturdays and Sundays, he was out there working that bus route, finding boys and girls who could ride the bus and love on them and, and helping them. And then on Sunday morning, he would get up and uh, we'd get to the church early and we would go and run a bus route. I'd go with them out on the bus on Sunday mornings and we'd pick up white kids and bring them into the church building. Church would let out and we'd take the white kids home and then we would drive that same bus over to the black neighborhoods and we'd pick up the black kids and we'd bring them in to the church building. And there would be an afternoon service while the deacons were having their pot roast and taking their nap. Uh, uh, there would be a handful of Christian, good Christian people who would have church for our black bus riders. And, and then we would go and baptize them in an empty auditorium. And, and then we would take them home. And then my dad would get back from that Sunday afternoon bus route about 5, 5.15 and be there for the Sunday evening church. My dad would go home after the Sunday evening service. He would not see home from early in the morning until late in the evening. Why? Because my dad loved the bus ministry. He loved helping those who were weak. And that was how I spent quality time with my father growing up. He says, well, you sounds like you were cheated out of a childhood. Absolutely not. I love spending those days with my dad. Now, this will be a throwback to the past. How many of you are old enough to remember Car Talk on national uh, public radio? Anybody here remember Car Talk? Click and clack, the Tabit brothers. And so my Saturdays were filled with listening to Car Talk and making bus visits with a big old bucket of bubble gum. We'd give those out to the kids, and, and they looked forward to us stopping by their houses and then getting them to come to church the next day. When I uh, graduated from, uh, I, well, rather, we moved away from that ministry and we moved to uh, Alabama and uh, I was asked at 13 years old to be a bus captain. 13 years old. My son's 14, my daughter's 12. It's hard for me to imagine one of them being a bus captain. And so Decatur, Alabama, I was a bus captain and uh, there was a retired lady uh, who was a, a missionary in Japan. A single lady been a missionary in Japan for 30 or 40 years and she had left the mission field. She was living there going to our church. And so every Saturday morning, this lady would show up to the church and I was not old enough to drive at 13. So she would drive me around so I could visit my bus route. I was a little too young to be a bus captain. I think I maybe averaged six or seven riders on that bus. I remember one week we were really pushing for a big day and we had pulled out all the stops. We had all these promotions at the church. We we're going to really fill up the bus. And I went out and um, I, I had 40 people promise me they were coming to church the next day. It was the most people I'd ever have commit 
to ride a church bus at, uh, on one week. And man, I was so excited I could barely sleep that night. We were going to have the bus packed. I mean, we have 40. We may even end up with 60. Because I had a list of promises and then I had a list of babies. And if everybody came, we'd be looking at 60 people uh, riding that church bus. And the next day I got up and man, uh, one house after the next began to cancel on me. And by the time we got done running around the route to pick everybody up, I had one little boy ride my bus. And I sat there as a 13-year-old boy, and I cried. I wept all the way to church. I remember I got to church, and I walked past my dad going to my Sunday school class. And my dad went and grabbed me out of Sunday school, and he said, I see that you're teary-eyed. What's going on? And my face was all red, and I'd been crying. And, and I said, I had 40 people promise me they were coming to church, and I only had one little boy ride the bus. And my dad said, well, at least you had one. I said, you're not helping right now. And he said, look, he said, uh, when you get home this afternoon, you can mope and you can sulk. Without one little boy, he needs you right now. He needs you to love him and he needs you to show him the love of Jesus. What do you think he thinks sitting there watching you cry? I said, yeah, you're right. Uh, I learned a valuable lesson there because through my years of being in church ministry and church work, there have been many times I've had an expectation of a big day attendance-wise and then that's not delivered. And you know what I learned there is love people. I mean, we're here to love people. We're not worried about numbers. But then fast forward, we moved to uh, Maryland when I was 16. And we moved around a lot growing up. But 16 years old, I moved to Maryland. And they asked me to be a bus captain after a short time of being in the church. And so I was the bus captain of the Middle River Chase neighborhoods. And later I'd get married and live in the same apartment complex where I would go and visit uh, that bus route. And me and uh, some other workers, we averaged having over 40 people ride our bus every week for a couple of years. In fact, we had like an 18-month span where we had over 40 every single Sunday on that bus. And we really had that thing humming and going. Saturdays visiting, Sundays um, uh, working it. And then I went to college and I uh, began to work in the bus ministry in the college. And then I met my dear sweet wife over here, and uh, Angela, and I found out that my wife was one of the top tier lady bus workers in the entire bus ministry. You say, well, in what way? Was she top tier? Well, we can begin with her looks. Amen? She was one of the most beautiful lady bus workers. But not only that, she had one. Now, understand, uh, the college at that time had 1,200 students, most of which were involved in the bus ministry. And they would have competitions of who could bring the most people to church. And they'd give out prizes to those who would. And the ladies would pair up in teams of two and go out and work those together. She was winning competitions against every other set of two girls in the entire college. Of You have six, 700 girls and her and her uh, lady worker friend, they're, they're, they're bringing the most people to church of any other set of people. I remember that uh, after we got married, um, uh, we, uh, we were asked to start a Spanish bus route in Baltimore. And they came to me and said, we want you to be the bus captain. I said, but I don't speak Spanish. They said, but your wife does. And I said, so then ask her to be the bus captain. They said, we want you, uh, we want you to, but, but so I followed her around Baltimore and watched her invite people to church in Spanish. And that was really where I began to learn my Spanish. And the point I'm making here this morning is the bus route has just been a giant part of my life. After we left, um, 
um, uh, after we, we moved to Hagerstown, the ministry we were at right before we came here, we were sort of kind of sulking. We'd been through some hardships in church ministry. And so on Saturday mornings, instead of going out and being involved in church ministry, you know, we're, we're kind of watching TV or hanging out with the family. And we weren't really doing a whole lot. We were, we were kind of licking our wounds a little bit. And I remember one Saturday, my wife looked at me and said, I'm not doing this anymore. She said, next Saturday, I'm getting up and getting dressed, and I'm going down to the church, and I'm going to the bus meeting at the church, and I'm going to find a bus route, and I'm going to help on that bus route. If you don't want to be involved on Saturday, then you can sit around and be lazy, but I'm going to the church, and I'm getting involved. And I said, well, all right. Okay. Uh, I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) So the next Saturday, she went down, and she started helping out on a bus route. In short order, they asked her to be a bus captain, and she started bringing boys and girls to to church. And then Pastor King came to me. I was a... I was working at the church as an assistant pastor, but on a voluntary basis. And he said, I want you to be the bus director. And I said, I'm already doing 25 things. He said, I want you to be the bus director. And so uh, Angela was the bus captain there. Uh, uh, one of the routes, we had five bus routes that brought over 200 people to church every week. It was a larger church. And Angela's route averaged somewhere between 30 and 50, or had between 30 and 50, probably averaged 40 Every week. The point I'm making here is that the bus ministry has been a major part of my life. And uh, we've had opportunities here to can our bus ministry and cancel our bus ministry. But uh, based on what we're going to preach out of the sermon this morning, I hope you'll understand that is not what we want to do. We believe that this is a godly ministry where God is working in a mighty and powerful and tremendous way. And so I want to take just a few minutes and I want to say thank you to a handful of people that make our bus ministry possible. Back in 2020, Back in 2020, we sold the buses we had on the property, and instead of owning our own buses, we now rent from We Transport every week. They send a bus here, and we rent that bus for the day, and they they make it possible for us to do this. And but we pay them to do that, and many of you give above, over and above your tithes and offerings. You give to help make that possible. In fact, in 2023, if the giving stays strong and through the end of the year, your giving will help pay for that bus over and above our regular budget. And if you are contributing financially to making our bus route possible, I want to say a very huge thank you for those that are doing that. I'd also like to take a few minutes and honor those who make the sacrifice to serve and give up their time and work hard in our bus ministry. If I say much more about my wife, I'm going to sleep on the couch tonight. So I've got to be careful here. She doesn't like the attention. But my wife is our church's bus captain. She's been doing that since 2020, and I'm grateful for her. Honestly, if my wife had not come back, come to me in 2020 and told me that she was going to be willing to do it, we probably wouldn't have a bus route today. I've had no one else willing to take that on and do that. And so she's worked hard to make sure that someone's there to make sure that's organized. And to all of those of you here that ride the bus, make sure you're grateful for Miss Angela. If it wasn't for her, you wouldn't uh, probably wouldn't have a way to church. So thankful for my wife and her heart with that. And then our bus workers are Matthew Lejeune and April Lejeune. They're not here today, uh, but um, uh, they are every Sunday on the bus to help her. They're running to the doors and helping little boys and girls put their shoes on and tie their shoes and get them to the door and love on them. And then on the way home, Brother Okai has agreed every Sunday to ride the bus home and uh, love on the children, help get them home, make sure that they're safe getting from the bus to their front door. And Brother Okai was in the 815 service, but 
He, uh, he does that every week or pretty much every week, and we're grateful for Brother Okai and the efforts that he makes. There's others who invest in those who ride our buses. Brother Scarpetti has been a vital part of our bus ministry for years. used to be a bus captain when his health allowed him, and now he teaches uh, the teen class on Wednesday evenings. Uh, he uh, gives them uh, many of our bus teens rides to teen activities on Friday evenings, and he's very much invested in their lives. Pastor Andrew and Mrs. Callie, our youth pastor, and and uh, youth pastor's wife, they invest in and love on our teenagers, all of them, including those that ride the bus, Brother Andres and Miss, Mrs. Hope Barrios, who work with our Master Club and our Junior Church, and then all of our Master Club workers who touch the life of our bus children. We are thankful for you. We currently have uh, somewhere around 50 to 60 children and teenagers and adults who uh, ride, uh, most of them don't ride the same week, but who ride uh, semi-consistently. And uh, Those 50 to 60 people have a ride to church because of those who give, those who pray, and those who go. I propose that many Christians are far too comfortable in their daily living. They're too busy guarding their comfort to worry about the weak among us. We, listen, we have large masses of people that are broken because of generational sin. And what they need, listen, they need Christians to set aside their busy schedules and their comfortable living and help show them the love of Jesus. Through the message this morning, my prayer is that several of you will have your heart stirred to hop on a bus and help bear a brother's burden. So if you received a bulletin on the way in this morning, we're going to look at five truths out of Romans 15 as we consider this concept on this bus emphasis Sunday of bearing a brother's burden. Number one, notice the classifications. The classifications. Right off the bat, let me give you letter A here. Notice the strong. The strong. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 1. Look there with me. We then that are strong, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So we who are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to uh, please ourselves. So the words strong and weak are relative. Do we all understand this? Uh, all of us in here can look at someone else and say, I am weak in comparison to them. Maybe you have a health struggle and you know someone with perfect health and you think, well, I'm weak compared to them. So maybe some of you in here uh, uh, don't have any money and you know someone who has lots of money and you say, I'm weak compared to them. All of us have someone in here or all of us know someone that if we were to compare ourselves to them, you would say they're strong and I'm weak. But do you know that also there are plenty of us in here today, all of us in here today can look at someone else and say I am strong and they are weak in comparison. Uh, you all get what I'm saying this morning. It's all relative to who we're, what we're looking at. Let me give you a handful of categories here of the strong. Notice first financial strength financial strength. Now, our church sits in um, an upper middle class neighborhood. Stratford, by and large, is a middle class to upper middle class neighborhood. And I know not all of you live in Stratford, but Stratford is a good uh, uh, place to begin uh, as far as average income of middle class America here in this area. There are some cities with a higher average 
income, and then there are others with a little bit lower, but I'm talking about middle class cities here around Stratford. The average income in Strat, average household income in Stratford in 2022 was $104,000 a year. $104,000 a year. Now, you might think, I don't make 104000 a year, but the average person, the average household in Stratford brings in 104000 a year. Does anybody have any idea what the average household income in Bridgeport is? It is 50, in 2022, it was $54,000 a year. So $50,000 less a year than what people make in Stratford. Now, I am old enough to remember when $54,000 a year was a lot of money. How many of you are old enough to remember when $54,000 a year was a lot of money? Okay? It's not a lot of money anymore. You can't bear, you can barely, in fact, I don't know how some people do that, scrape by with an average household income of $54,000 a year. And so understand that many of the people who drive a car into this church parking lot every week, you may not be making 104, but making somewhere between 80 and 120,000 a year, you are in the upper echelon not only of the world, but even in this country. Financial strength. Let me give you another area of strength here. Relational strength. Relational strength. Now I need to give a disclaimer right here. Not everyone who lives in Stratford makes a lot of money and has a solid home. And not everyone who lives in Bridgeport is poor and has a broken home. Listen, there are plenty of people who live in Bridgeport who make lots of money and have a good home structure. Mom, dad, husband, wife, and kids. And there are people who live in Stratford who make far less than 54000 a year and have a broken home. I'm not painting with a broad brush. I understand that there are there are poor people in Stratford, there are rich people in Bridgeport. I understand that there are broken homes in Stratford and homes that are well put together in Bridgeport. I'm not trying to say that this is the case in every situation. But largely, uh, and, and, and I don't say this from a judgmental standpoint, I'm just saying this strictly from an observational standpoint, people who live in poor America have are a higher percentage of broken homes than those who live in middle class America. I know that divorce works its way through all communities and I understand that broken homes are becoming more normal across all of uh, the wealth classes in America, but please understand that inside many of these neighborhoods uh, in Bridgeport, uh, a lot of people struggle uh, because they don't have a dad in the home to love them. In fact, the idea of a dad is uh, a man, a different man rotates through occasionally and is in that home and there's that relational brokenness, that relational brokenness and you say, well, Pastor Lejeune, it sure sounds like you're being judgmental and you're picking on people and I just want to say this this morning that I am also speaking about my own dad's upbringing. My dad grew up in the projects of Baton Rouge. Louisiana. My dad grew up uh, with a mom who was divorced and remarried eight or nine times before she died. My dad grew up in a home where uh, other men who my mom, my grandmother wasn't married to would live there for a short time. The revolving door of men who influenced my dad uh, was uh, was also part of my uh, was was part of his life. Now, uh, uh, one one time, uh, my my father had a uh, a live-in boyfriend in the home named John Barry. 
and uh, John Barry was a bad man. I mean, he was a bad man, and um, he had done something highly criminal. And the police showed up at the house looking for John. And John had dyed his hair uh, in order to try to cover his identity. And uh, the police showed up, and they had a warrant. And when they wouldn't open the door, they kicked the door in. And uh, my dad's just, you know, a seven, eight-year-old boy. And they're going through the house. They had hidden John in a closet so well, the police never did find him. They never did find him. So uh, my dad grew up in this. In fact, my dad dabbled in a little bit of behavior that leaned to criminal before he got saved because of the influence of people in his life. And he did not grow up in a place of strength. And many of the people, not all, but many of the people who ride our bus, they don't have a strong relationship with their birth father. They don't have structure of relational strength in their home. They grow up in a home where they are poor and they they don't have a lot of money. Uh, uh, Financial strength and relational strength. Let's talk about emotional strength. Strength, emotional strength. Now, I am thankful that I grew up in a home with both a mom and a dad, and I'm grateful that my kids are growing up in a home with a, a mom and dad. And I have to say that um, our, our Hollywood industry, entertainment industry, has tried to downplay the, the effects of divorce. But can I tell you that divorce in the life of a child is greatly damaging? Greatly damaging. Now, let me say this there are those of you in this room here who are divorced. And I understand that going through a divorce is a painful and difficult process. It it, it tears you to shreds. And if you've gone through a divorce, I'm not here to pick on you and I'm not here to attack you. I love you and I want to help you uh, in, in that trial and struggle of your life. But as hard as it is on an adult, do you know how hard it is on a child when dad's not there in the picture? You understand that Men bring something to a home that women cannot bring. And women bring something to a home that men cannot bring. Uh, Thursday, I drove my children to Niagara Falls, New York, and left them with uh, Pastor Curtis King and his wife for my kids to spend a handful of days with them. They're up there right now with the Kings, and uh, we miss them. In fact, uh, our home is very weird, and we realize that we're going to be empty nesters in just a few years, and... We don't really like it, do we, Angela? It, it's weird. Um, but uh, the kids have been calling home and to check on us. And uh, they call, and if I answer the phone, they don't want to talk to me. Here's the first thing they say. Where's mom? What am I, chopped liver? Where's mom? And uh, I give the phone to Angela, or she'll take the call, and she does, you know, 80% of the talking, and... They get done with the call and they say, tell dad we said hello. <laughs> okay, I guess that don't matter, right? Um, but, uh, you know, Angela is able to offer them something in that relationship that a dad just doesn't offer. When my kids get hurt, they, they don't cry, daddy. <laughs> they cry, mommy. And they did when they were little. They don't do that anymore either. But they want her. They don't want me. You know why? I'd say, so rub some dirt in it and get over it. But she's there to coddle them and love them and help them. But, you know, my kids need me too. Because I'm able to offer them some things that Angela's not able to help them. One of my kids um, uh, was uh, uh, got... got uh, Got, got wrapped up in some things in his schooling, in the schooling there, and, and wasn't ready to take a test when it was time to take a test. And, and Angela called me and said, what do I do? I said, 
tell, tell them to take the test right now. And, but, but they're going to fail. I said, well, good. They need to learn that life lesson. They need, they, need, they need to fail in order to learn that life lesson because we're not doing what we're supposed to do. And you know what dads are there for? They're there to help make sure that the children learn those things that are important and not let emotion get wrapped in there. So emotional strength, relational strength, financial strength. Let me give you one more here. Strength in, strong in principles. Strong in principles. We need to have uh, principles in our home that are established. And we don't do right uh, or wrong based on how we feel. We do, what we're, we do what's right because the principle says that we are to do that. Strong in principles. And some of you, this is the home that you have or that you grew up in. Financial means and relational strength and emotional strength and strong in principles. And maybe you didn't have all that growing up and maybe you don't have all of that uh, now, but you have some of that or you have... Much of that, uh, uh, those who are strong, letter uh, B, letter A, we see the strong, letter B, let's talk about the weak, the weak. Look with me at Romans 15 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Notice the Bible describes the problems that accompany a weak person as infirmities. Now, when I was in Bible college, if you were sick and needed to miss classes and you needed to have an excused absence, you had to get yourself up out of bed. You had to walk down the hallway to where the um, the nurse's station was. You had to have the nurse check you over and then give you a slip that would get put on the outside of your door. And it was called being infirmed. You were infirmed for the day. It was almost like you had to walk around saying, unclean, unclean. It almost had that feeling to it. But you had that on your door and you were able to present that information to your teachers and you would get an excused absence from classes. The idea of being infirm is someone who is sick, someone who is uh, infirmed. And many of those who ride our buses deal with abuse. And I'm not saying everyone. Again, I want to be very clear. Not everyone who rides the bus is abused, but there are those who ride our buses, many who deal with some level of abuse. I'm talking about physical abuse. Physical abuse. I'm not talking about getting a spanking. I'm talking about being smacked across the face or pushed across the room out of anger. You say, Pastor Zern, does that kind of thing happen? Oh, it happens. It happens. Over the years of working in the bus ministry, I've had to call Child Protective Services more than once because a child has come in with bruises on their arms or on their legs. And you pull the child to the side and you say, Everything okay at home? And no, I, I got, I got beaten by my 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 mom's boyfriend. I got beaten by my mom. I, I was thrown across the room. I, I had, it was, had a, it was hit with a chair. I've heard all kinds of things, and you, you've got to call and and get the authorities involved because children deal with physical abuse. And again, not everybody who rides their bus deals with this, but there there are those that have had seasons of this in their life. How about emotional abuse? Emotional abuse. Again, I talked about this a a few moments ago, but divorce and separation in our inner cities are normal. Normal. You know, of, um, of all of the years I've worked in the church bus ministry... I would put it somewhere between 5 and 15% of the homes uh, where I brought people out, the, the biological mom and dad lived in that home with those kids. 5 to 
This is my own experience doing this in Mississippi and Alabama and Baltimore and Hagerstown and Chicago. This is doing this in four different regions of the country. Five to 15% of those who we bring on the buses have a biological mom and dad in the home. They've gone through some sort of divorce. A lot of these kids, they don't know who their fathers even are. And if they do know who they are, they have very little relationship with them. They're weak. How about, um, re- how about social abuse? Social abuse. Some years ago, I uh, went to visit a bus family and I knocked on the door and uh, one of the kids in the home opened the door. And as I w- was normal visiting that home on Saturdays, they'd open the door and invite me in. And so I stepped in the home and the mother was at work. The grandmother was taking care of the kids. And the grandmother was on the other side of the apartment and she was cursing out her grandchildren. And she did not know I was there. I'm standing there in the living room and I can hear through the other room. And I mean, she's small apartment. She's cursing everyone out. I mean, just every word imaginable, calling them names, telling them they were dumb and stupid and, and, and how can you be such an idiot and, and, and this just laced with cursing. And, and uh, she came in the room where I was and did not stop, just kept right on berating those kids right in front of me. And so when uh, this uh, grandmother finished with her grandchildren, I said, can I talk to you out in the hallway? And so she stepped out in the hallway and I said, "Um, you know, you you have an anger problem and you're hurting these kids. And she said, I don't want to hear it. She said, if I had talked to my mother the way these kids talked to me, my mother would have picked me up and thrown me across the room. And I looked at her and I said, well, don't you think that's part of the problem? Don't you think that's part of the problem? Can't you see that this abuse is being repeated generation after generation? How about sexual abuse? Sexual abuse. Being fondled, molested, or even raped. I had a girl who rode the buses for years. When she got to her adult years... This is another ministry. She sat in my office and she said, how am I supposed to honor my father? He raped me over and over again when I was a little girl. And I'm not saying this happens to everybody who rides the bus and everybody who lives in the inner city. But let me read some statistics for you. The nonprofit RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, this is an organization meant to help end sexual assault and violence. They report... One in nine girls and one in 53 boys under the age of 18 experience sexual abuse or assault at the hands of an adult. 82% of all victims under 18 are female. Female ages 16 to 19 are far times more likely than the general population to be victims of rape, attempted rape, or sexual assault. The effects of child sexual abuse can be long-lasting and affect the victim's mental health. Victims are more likely than non-victims to experience the following mental health challenges. According to this uh, nonprofit, they're four times more likely to develop symptoms of drug abuse. They're four times more likely to experience PTSD as adults. They're three times more likely to experience a major depressive episode in their adult years. Those who are weak are oftentimes treated this way from birth 
all the way through their adulthood. Is it any wonder that they behave the way they do when they're adults? The sickness of their soul is simply passed down generation to generation. There's an illustration I have used throughout the years of being the pastor here. And if you've attended here for uh, my pastor, I'm sure you've heard me use it once or twice. But it just fits here and it's so appropriate. My first ever hospital visit in church ministry when I was serving in uh, South Chicago uh, as a, um, uh, in, a, in, in the chapel ministries, it was a 14-year-old girl named Ina. And I went to visit Ina in the hospital there in South Chicago because at 14 years old she had just given birth. 14 years old had given birth. I never learned the circumstances of her pregnancy. I don't know if it was with a, another boy in the, in the school or if she had uh, been raped in some way, but she gave birth at 14 years old. And I went to visit Ina in the hospital. I remember a few weeks later I went to visit Ina to try to get her back into church, her and her new baby. And I went and held the baby and, and prayed over the baby and prayed over her. And, and I remember um, with Ina there, um, I, uh, I was with my visiting partner there, Andrew, and we were visiting together. And we walked out of Ina's apartment. And uh, Ina lived in a duplex. And that baby's bedroom was uh, on that outside wall. It was a summer day. The, the, uh, it was a warm day, and so the window was open. And uh, the other side of that duplex that was occupied by another family, that window was open. So these two bedrooms are right next to each other on the second floor, if you can picture this. And the people who were not related to Ina were playing hip-hop rap music where every other word was the F word. It was laced with sexual profanity and a, a topic of sexual assault that was being glorified. You know the type of music. That's being blared out this window and into the window of this three- to six-week-year-old child. And I remember looking at Andrew and saying, that child's got no chance. That child has no chance. This child is hearing this vulgarity and profanity in lifestyle Right from the jump. You know what we need? Is not to have a bunch of middle class people. I don't care what color you are. I don't think the problem in Connecticut, and again, I'm saying this is a white male, so I might be slightly misinformed. In all fairness. I don't think that most of the problem we have in Connecticut is, 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 is a color problem. I think most of the problem we have in Connecticut is a wealth class problem. There's a lot of middle class people, I don't care what color you are, there's a lot of middle class people who look down their nose at people who are poor. We don't love them like we should. And instead of helping them, we criticize them. You understand that these people grow up under heavy abuse. And then they turn around and they, they perpetuate the abuse on the next generation because that's all they know. And then people in middle class America want to sit there and judge them. Shame on us! Shame on us! For wanting to judge them. You pull up at a traffic light and someone's standing there bumming, bumming money, looking for, looking for a handout. And you say, go get a job! Did you ever consider that maybe they've been abused enough in life where they don't have the mental capacity to hold down a job? 
Did you ever even stop and think about that? Did you ever stop and think that if it wasn't for the grace of God, you very well could be right where they are? We're all a bunch of sinners and we're all capable of anything. And if God had put you in a different family, it's likely you'd be exactly like the people that you look down your little pharisaical nose at. We see people that battle drugs and we think, oh, drugs are evil. How dare they battle drugs? Maybe they're using those drugs to cover up a hurt that runs really deep down in their soul. The classifications. Some of us have been given so much in life. Praise God. You were born into a wealthy family and you had the Bible fed into your mouth like, a, like you were spoon-fed the Bible from a young age. You were taught to love God at a young age, but you sit on that and you don't do anything with it to help others. The classification is number two. Notice the commandment. The commandment. Paul, through the inspiration of God, brings this chapter, or rather begins this chapter by telling us that there are the strong and the weak. Then he lays out some commands for the strong and how they are to handle the weak. Let me give you a letter A and then immediately a letter B here. Letter A, notice we are commanded to love your neighbor. You are commanded to love your neighbor. Romans 15.2 says to every one of us, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. That word edification means to build up. We're to take someone who's weak and we're to build them up and make them strong. So we're commanded to love our neighbor, to love your neighbor. Letter B, to deny your own comfort. To deny your own comfort. Look with me at Romans 15. Look with me at verse number 1. Can we read that together? Everybody have Romans 15, 1. Look at it there with me. Ready? We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Can you read that phrase with me again? That last phrase in the verse? And not to please ourselves. Now listen closely. To the degree that you deny your own comfort... To that degree, you enable yourself to love your neighbor. To the degree that you deny your own comfort, to that same degree, uh, you enable yourself to love your neighbor. If you're too interested in being comfortable, then you're not able to love your neighbor. You need to be willing to deny yourself, Paul told the church in Rome, in order to make weak, uh, make strong those who are weak. There are a lot of people who are fanatical about a lot of things, all right? Uh, let me give you a few examples here. There are those who are fanatical about sports. Any sports fan? I'll raise my hand on this one. Any sports fans in the room here today? I love sports. All right. I've got two fantasy football teams playing this afternoon. Amen. And excited about that. I love sports, but I don't love sports as much as some people. Do you know that somewhere this morning there was a big fat man who got up and he shaved his chest and his stomach so that he could paint it in his team's favorite color? and go stand out in the cold and cheer for his team with half his face painted one color and his other half of his face painted the other color. He'll spend five or six hundred dollars on seats today and he'll spend another two or three hundred dollars on beer and hot dogs so he can go and cheer on his team. You know, that's fanatical. I love sports, but I'm not anywhere 
near that level. There are people who love, I mean, they are fanatical about interior design. All right? Hint, hint, my wife. Amen? Uh, interior design. She loves interior design. And listen, I'm grateful for people who love interior design. Don't you all love the Christmas decorations around our property? Aren't they beautiful? We had a handful of ladies who came in here uh, after Thanksgiving and spent 10, 11, 12 hours straight decorating our church building and getting it looking very nice and pretty. They told me they wanted to put the cross up in the lobby. I said, how, what, what are you doing? And man, it looks great. They have vision for things I don't have vision for. I'm thankful for interior design. Here's another one. Scrapbooking. Anybody love scrapbooking? Raise your hand if you'd like to scrapbook. I don't see any men with their hand raised. Except mine. I don't like scrapbooking, man. If you're a man and you like scrapbooking, I'm going to need to take your man card, okay? Uh, that's not allowed, all right? Scrapbooking's for women, all right? And now that we have Facebook, scrapbookings go away because you know, now we just post 48 pictures of what we did. And uh, you can go back and look at that later, right? Digital scrapbooking. Uh, how about this one? This one's less of a thing in Connecticut, but some people really love hunting and fishing. Other people are technology nerds. They're fans about that. This one uh, gets a lot of people politics. Some people just have the cable news on all the time, and that's what they're fanatical about. You can insert your own personal hobby. What is it that you enjoy doing? What is it that you uh, take the time to do? Maybe I listed it. Maybe I didn't. You will not be judged in heaven on how fanatical you were on these things. You get to heaven one day, God doesn't care how many blankets you've knitted. He doesn't care how many Super Bowls your team won. He doesn't. He doesn't care about what car you drove. I hate to break it to you, He doesn't even really care about what job you worked. He wants to know what you did with the gospel and how you helped the weak. For the Christian, listen to me church, for the Christian, helping the weak is not optional. It is a command of Christ. You are to take your strength and help the weak. This is not optional. This is not optional. I want you to answer a question within your own heart right now. Am I loving on the weak? Or am I neglecting the weak? Number one, the classifications. Number two, the commandment. Number three, notice the caregiver. The caregiver. Look with me at Romans 15. Look at verse 3. For even Christ pleased not Himself... But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Let me give you an A and B back to back here. Notice letter A, speaking of Christ. Notice his self-denial. His self-denial. Letter B, his sacrifice. His self-denial. Letter B, his sacrifice. These two go hand in glove. Again, strong and weak are relative terms. I'll share with you a funny story from uh, when my daughter was just a little girl. I, I did not grow up going to the circus. In fact, I had never went to the circus once in my childhood. And I didn't know why I wasn't allowed to go to the circus. It's just every time we asked, my parents, you know, just deflected and, and wouldn't, wouldn't take us. And so uh, we went to the Big E right after we got here to be the pastor. I think it was the spring of 2017. We went to the Big E and uh, it, it was okay. How many of you are big, Big E fans? You, you go... 
all the time. You love it. Okay. How many are like me? You don't really get the hype. All right. How many have never been? Anybody here never been to the Big E? Okay. Well, go and check it out for yourself. All right. Uh, there's some interesting food there. There's some overpriced items you can buy there. But uh, it, uh, we're at the Big E and we're looking for things to do as a family. And so there was a circus. And I thought, I've never been to the circus. I'm going to take my family. So we got in there, and I quickly realized after I paid and we got seated why we didn't go to the circus growing up, there was a bunch of scantily clad women at the circus, okay? And so uh, we're in there, we're already situated, we're already seated, and and I probably should have gotten up and left, but I didn't. So there we are at the circus, and uh, my daughter's five years old at the time. She's sitting right next to me, and um, she's of the opinion that Dad is the strongest man in the world. My dad is the hugest muscles of any man in the whole wide world. And would you know it, out comes this Mongolian man with a telephone pole. I mean, he's got this telephone pole on his shoulders. And he's spinning this thing around on his shoulders. And my daughter's, you know, her eyes are getting real big. And her mouth's starting to drop down. And I'm watching her. And then two women come out and they sit on swings on either end of the pole. And he's swinging these girls around. And my daughter pulls on my shirt and she looks up at me and she says, You're not the strongest man I know anymore. (laughs) And I looked at her and I said, That's right, I'm the second strongest man (laughs) you know. Strong and weak are relative terms. Spiritually, we are all weak in comparison to Christ. Verse 3 tells us that Christ, look at back at verse 3, Christ pleased not Himself. What does that mean? Isaiah 53 tells us that Christ was despised and rejected of men. Why? Because He was bearing my infirmity. Christ was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. Why? Because He was bearing my infirmity. Christ was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Why? Because He was bearing my infirmity. In all the accusations, Christ opened not His mouth. Why? Because He was bearing my infirmity. Christ pleased not Himself so that He could bear the reproach of my sin. He that was Almighty bore my infirmities and your infirmities because the One who was Almighty was helping the One that was weak. He is our ultimate example. What if Christ had your attitude toward the weak? What if Christ had treated hell-bound souls like yours the way that you treat the bus ministry? Well, pastor, I'm fond of the idea. Let someone else get to it. Let someone else get up on Sunday and do it. Let someone else take the kids home. Let someone else deal with the teenagers when they misbehave. Let someone else pull the gum off the bottom of the chairs. Let someone else clean up the mess that's made 
in the bathroom. Let someone else sweep out the bus when it's all over with. Let someone else deal with the broken commitments that uh, they make and, and the empty promises uh, from someone telling me they're going to ride the next day and not getting up. Let someone else have a snotty nose wiped on their uh, blouse or shirt sleeve. Let someone else deal with the cold weather in the winter and the hot weather in the summer. I don't want to do it. Pastor, I'm for the bus ministry. Let someone else do it. What if Christ had that attitude toward you? What if Christ said, I'm for redemption's plan, but let someone else die on the cross. Let someone else go and and pay for their sin. Jesus was the only option. And if Jesus had denied that, uh, that responsibility of His, you and I would be headed for hell. But our ultimate caregiver in His strength looked down at us in our weakness. And He loved us. He took care of us. He strengthened us in our weakness. Number four, our compelling. Our compelling. Romans chapter 15, look at verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. What does the Bible mean to you? Many view the Bible very selfishly. Please listen to me now. What can that book tell me about how to get me to heaven? What can that book tell me that will give me a better quality life? How can the Bible make my marriage better? How can the Bible make my kids behave better? How can the Bible give me an advantage that others don't have? This is truly a selfish view of the Bible. God did not write this book as a selfish letter for you to consume to make you a better person. No, God wrote the Bible so you would be selfless and you would give toward others in their needs. Well, I'm going to read the Bible so I can see how I can be a better person. How about you read the Bible so you can see how you can be a better person so that you can help someone else be a better person? You see the compelling here? God doesn't say, just read the Bible and as a self-help book and be a better person for it. No, you read the Bible, you become a better person, and then you get up and you go make a difference in someone else's life. Are compelling. Are compelling. The truth is, most people are extremely selfish with the Bible. Romans 15.4 tells us that we learn from what is written in the Bible so that we can make strong the weak with, watch this, watch these two words, patience and comfort. Patience and comfort. The president of uh, Hiles Anderson College for years where I graduated, his name was Ray Young. When Ray Young was a little boy, he lived in a poor home in uh, Louisiana. And a bus captain went by one Saturday and knocked on his door and invited him to church. Little Ray did not have a right to church. His parents did not have a car. Little Ray was just a six or seven year old boy and he told the bus captain, he said, I'm going to come tomorrow. There was a change in plans and his parents went somewhere and he was not home the next day and did not ride the bus. That next Saturday, the bus captain came by, but little Ray wasn't home. He left a note on the door. He came a third week. In a fourth week, and a fifth week, and a sixth week. And as the story goes, each week, little Ray was not home or unable to answer the door, and a note from that bus captain was left on the door each Saturday. On the eighth week, Ray opened the door, 
and told the bus captain, I'm sorry, I've been getting your notes. I'm sorry I missed that first Sunday. I will ride the bus tomorrow. That next Sunday, little Ray got up. He rode the bus. Little Ray, that Sunday, gave his heart to Jesus and got saved. Little Ray would go on to Bible college. Little Ray would become Ray Young, who would one day lead the world's largest bus ministry. And on any given Sunday, they would bring 12,000 boys and girls to church under his leadership. I watched a video this week about a little girl who grew up in a broken home. Her mother would take her at two years old and stick her hands in boiling hot water to punish her. By the time Child Protective Services got involved, this girl had second and third degree burns on her hands. She was taken from her mother and given to her grandmother. One day a bus captain would knock on this little girl's door. She'd get on the bus and go to church. She got saved. A missionary would come to her church just a few months later and she told her bus captain who had gone to college to be a missionary and had plans to go to the mission field, I want to be a missionary one day just like you. That little girl would be enrolled in a Christian school. Someone gave to their church's benevolence fund and paid for her to go to that Christian school until uh, she graduated. There was tumult in her family. Her mom got involved in her life later on and tried to pull her out of church. Her dad tried to take her out of church as well. Her dad ended up going to jail. And uh, as the story goes, she would be sent away to live in a foster home for a little while. Eventually, she made it back with her grandmother. She made it back into church. She never lost her love for God. She would go off to Bible college. She would marry a man. And now they serve the Lord as missionaries in the nation of Ukraine. All because the bus captain decided they were going to deny themselves and pick her up and get her to church and show her the love of Jesus. This world is filled with men and women making a difference for God because somebody made a sacrifice to work a bus route. Number five, our charge. Our charge. Romans 15, look with me at verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Verse 5 tells us we are to be like-minded with Christ. Verse 6 tells us that we are to glorify God. Verse 7 tells us that we are to receive everyone.
I've asked one of our bus riders to come and give us a testimony this time. Miss Samar. Hello, my name is Sema, and I ride a church bus. Um, what does the bus ministry mean to me? Well, not just me, but to Lahensia, Lance, and Samaya, it means everything. It means riding with friends, we sing, we pray, we get ready to worship God. We're very grateful to this ministry. Samar has been coming, Miss, Mrs. Samar has been coming faithfully with her children for several years now. And our bus gives them an opportunity to be here each week and have her children raised in church. And we're just so grateful for that. So you may ask, how can I bear the burdens of the week? How can I be involved? Ushers, if you'd get ready for me, please. Wait till I ask you, but if uh, you'd get ready. There are a handful of ways you can help us. Let me begin with the one everybody can do. Listen closely, please. We need prayer warriors. We need you to pray. Our ladies um, and men, some of our men and, and ladies, they go out into Bridgeport every Saturday morning. We meet here at 9.30 and they gather and they go out. And uh, they visit in these neighborhoods. And uh, my, my uh, wife will come back and, and tell me, She'll say, uh, I, I, I don't know if I was in a compromising position this Saturday or not, but uh, I, had, I had a situation where I didn't feel real safe. And praise God, nothing's happened to her. I don't let her go out there by herself. She's always got people with her and, uh, to help her. But uh, we need you to pray, the angels of God, around our workers. We need you to pray that God puts a hedge of protection around the bus driver. We not have anything happen. We need you to pray that there's never an instance where a child is ever taken advantage of or abused through our ministry. We need you to pray God's hand of protection around our church and our bus ministry. How many of you here can at least commit to praying for our bus ministry? Would you raise your hand? You can commit to praying for this regularly. I don't just mean after you've heard the sermon. I mean you commit to do this all year long. Make it a matter of prayer. How else can you help? All right? Um, you can help by um, giving toward our bus we, uh, we don't own any buses. We rent buses from We Transport every week. And right now, we rent one bus on Sunday. And uh, the giving uh, through the offering plate that's been marked on the envelope as bus ministry has, has just been enough to help us pay for one bus all year long. I don't have to plan that in the budget because of the giving through you all. But you know what? I had somebody come to me this morning who expressed interest in helping us potentially start a second bus route. And I don't know that that's going to work out. If that does work out, we're going to need a lot more other people to step up and help you workers on that route. But you know what? We can't start a second route without renting a second bus. That means our giving would have to double from last year to this year toward the bus ministry. We're not asking you to take this from your regular giving, but to do it over and above. So we need financial givers. We need bus captains. We need people who will step up and sacrifice their time. And go and do this. I shared about the sacrifice 
that I made with my father as a child growing up, working from 5 a.m. to 9 o'clock every night and out there for five hours on Saturdays and all day Sunday doing this because strengthening the weak was of the utmost importance and he wanted me and my siblings to see that growing up. Some of you here with kids, you would be wise to get your children taught in serving at a very young age. Get them out there and show them what it means to serve. Show them what it means to love. You know what? By the time I was eight years old, I knew what pot smelled like. I knew a bunch of rap songs. And I knew what uh, beer smelled like. It wasn't because I saw it on TV. It's because I was in the neighborhoods and I was loving on people with my dad. I wasn't entertained by sin, but I was exposed to it at a young age. And I saw I don't want anything to do with that lifestyle. Because I see where it leads people. Some of you be wise to get your children off of their cell phones and out from in front of their playstations and out in the neighborhoods learning how to love people. We need bus captains. We need bus workers. We need people who will get up on Sunday morning and help my wife and other people on the bus and help sit next to a child who's hurting and love on them and pray for them and care for them. We need bus workers. I don't know how you would like to get involved or help, but we sure could use your help. Men, if you'd come forward at this time, we have a card we're going to pass out that have those three avenues of helping. You can pray, you can give, or you can go. And we're going to collect these at the end of the service here. Go ahead. We want everybody in the room who is an adult to take one. All the adults to take one. All right. Make sure every adult gets a card. If you're a teenager, you can take one as well. If you'd like one, well, you need to raise your hand for one. But uh, we want you to at least pray. And uh, some of the teenagers here have money. You can give. You earn an allowance. Give some of that toward our bus ministry. Our teenagers can help serve on the bus route. Some of you teenagers can push your parents. Get me here on Sunday morning. I'm going to help on that bus. I'm going to go and I'm going to love on others who are weak. We need prayer warriors. We need financial givers. We need bus captains and bus workers. You can either pray, or you can give, or you can go, or you can do any combination of those three. But we sure do need you to get involved. We need people who will help bear the infirmities of the weak. Will you go back in your Bible with me to Romans chapter 15? And will you look at verse number 1? Read verse 1 with me out loud. Would you do that? Here we go. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Look down at verse 7. Everybody read. Here we go. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask you some, of something of you. I'm going to ask that you hold on to that card, and that before you check off anything on that card, you spend some time in prayer asking God what He would have you do. And after our invitation, you fill that card out. How many of you here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, the Lord has stirred my heart by what I have seen and heard. Pastor, God is laying on my heart that I need to do more to help bear the infirmities of the weak. Here's my hand. Please pray for me. I need to do more. I need to do more. We all can do more, can't we? I wonder, put your hands down, I wonder if there's someone here this morning that says, I've been sitting on the sideline far too long. It's time for me to get up and get in the fight. It's time for me to get up and get into the battle. Satan is winning the war because I'm sitting on the sideline. I'm not doing my part. Pastor, the Lord's working on my heart. 
I need to get off the sidelines. I need to do my part. Here's my hand. Please pray for me. Hold them up. Hold them up. I need to do my part. I'm sitting on the sidelines too much. If you just raise your hand, I, I hope you're committed to that. Boy, I sure would like to see you come and bend a knee at the altar in just a few minutes. Not for me, but for yourself and the Lord. Anybody can raise their hand, but what are you going to do beyond the raising of the hand? We ought to have an army of people that show up here every Saturday at 9.30 with a handful of bus flyers and a heart full of love. We ought to have a handful of people that show up here on Sunday morning fervently excited about getting on that bus and going and bringing boys and girls into this church. You're going to have to deny yourself to do that. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, I prayed this morning that we would not be manipulated by a preacher. We would be changed by the Spirit of God. Oh, Lord God, how we need You. We need You to use us to love on others. Show us, Lord, where we are weak. And help us, Lord, to be strong so that we can then turn around and help those who are weak. Lord God, You've given us much. You're going to require much. May we do it to Your honor and glory. I pray this morning someone would make a decision that not only changes their life, but changes the life of some boy or girl, some teenager, some man or woman, that reaches down into the brokenness of abuse and helps them to have a life that's reclaimed. Lord God, fill our church with people who love You and serve You and deny themselves. In Jesus' name.